0: appreciate that. I'm thankful for uh, a group of people that um, love to serve the Lord and are willing to, uh, to do specials and to sing solos and to play the piano. Uh, at this time, we'll dismiss our kids for Children's Church. one thing we do know with the colder weather and the snow that we're seeing, we do know we're getting closer to Christmas. And so, uh, uh, and, I, and I love this time of year. Um, you know, I love the fall, the the time of fall and rolls into fall. I mean, I love to go hunting and, and get out there and I like the cooler temperatures and we get into Thanksgiving and of course that's a little remorseful because we're getting to the end of hunting season. Uh, but uh It rolls into Christmas, and I love Christmas, and this is probably my all-time favorite time of the year because I love what Christmas stands for, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, It stands for uh, a Savior who came down and put on flesh, a God who came to be like us uh, so that we could have eternal salvation, that we could have a way into heaven So I'm thankful for a God like that. This morning, if you, uh, hopefully everybody got a bulletin. Uh, Inside your bulletin should be a handout for this morning's message. Uh, We'll be in Luke chapter 1 this morning as we're going to be doing a series uh, of messages these next few weeks that will lead up to the birth of Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. And uh, so we're going to be starting in the book of Luke. uh, And before we get into that, I'd like to open in a word of prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven. Uh, you are such a good God. You loved us so much that you sent your Son. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, the precious gift of Jesus Christ. We focus on the gifts at Christmas, and kids love to receive gifts, Father, but I pray that it's people all over this world that will receive the precious gift of your Son this year. Father, we love you and we thank you, praise you. I pray now that you'll fill me with your Spirit. You use me mightily to deliver the message that you've put on my heart. I pray that you will... Uh, that, that the congregation will be receptive to your word this morning, that they will apply it to their lives, that they will learn from it, that, Lord, their faith can, be, uh, can just grow, it bounds, leaps and bounds today. Uh, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and what we preach here is the word of God. It's your message, not mine, so I pray that it's your voice that will be heard and not mine. We ask it now in Jesus' name, amen. So in Luke chapter 1. Um, we're going to be looking at, as we open the book uh, of Luke, to to begin, as the book of Luke is a great, it tells the Christmas story. And that's where we're going to be these next few weeks. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Have you ever written a research paper? Um, going to college, I had the privilege of writing many of them. Uh, And uh, honestly, I'll tell you what, I would prefer to have to write a 20-page research paper than to even take a quiz. I hated tests. I hated tests. I hated exams. I would rather write a research paper. Uh, I I loved writing the research papers because you dig in and you study, And 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 it's neat writing a research paper because you're you're trying to you're you're doing a study of something and and you want to understand it better. And so you're you're going to dig and you're going to seek out other people's writings of what they wrote about that topic and that subject. You're going to be maybe looking for eyewitnesses or eyewitness accounts or or people who were there if you're gonna write a a paper on on the uh, on Pearl Harbor. Man, how great would it be to meet somebody who was at Pearl Harbor, right? And to and visit with those people. And how cool would it be to, to interview uh, maybe uh, a sailor that was there that day, but maybe also be able to talk to a Japanese pilot. You know, I mean, to get both sides of the story. We love the, I, I love the idea of writing research papers. Because what's the idea? You've got to get in there. You want to get the facts. You want to get the facts in there so that people can understand better what it is you're trying to teach them about. And that's what I love about the Bible. God's Word is a huge research paper. And, and, and God used 40-plus different authors over 1,500 years apart, over a 1,500-year period, to give us the Word of God, to give us His Word. and And... And he uses what's really cool and what's exciting is, uh, yeah, yeah, when we look at this, this is written by men. A lot of people tell you, well, I I don't believe that book because it's written by men. You're absolutely right it's written by men. But these were holy men of God. And they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. Okay, They they wrote uh, the words of God. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke. But God authored The book of Luke. God is the author of this entire book. I I love it. I was like when people say, well, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Yes, we do. It's God. We don't know who wrote it, but we know who authored it. And so um, we understand that this is uh, God's word. And I love the fact that just like how do we reach a lost world? We reach a lost world because we have to go tell people about Jesus Christ. God uses human instrumentality to accomplish getting the gospel to a lost community. So how is Stevensville going to find out about Jesus Christ? It's going to take people of Galilee Baptist Church to tell them about Jesus Christ. And how did we get the word of God? Human instrumentality. Uh, Could God have written it out? I mean, he did the Ten Commandments, but who wants to carry a whole book like this made out of stone? All right. That would be heavy. All right. Um, no, but ideally, he uses man. What a privilege, what an honor and a privilege it is to serve God. Luke is a blessed man to be able to be one of the writers of the, of the books in the Bible. And it, what a privilege it is for us to be able to share what's in this book with people, that God allows us to do that. We should look at that as an honor and a privilege. But I love the fact that we, that man, when I say we, I mean man, is involved in bringing about the Word of God. He uses us for that. And what's really cool is, I said there's 40 different authors. So he uses different people with, uh, of different walks of life uh, with different writing styles. Why? So that we can learn uh, differently, It's all for God's glory. It's all, there's a reason. H- he used Luke to write Luke. Luke was an educated man. He was a physician. <clears throat> and so here's a guy who's going to uh, painstakingly put things together and, and probably do some research. I mean, he's an educated man. He, he, he's probably wanting to get in and, and really dig into this and, and, and to, to get this book written. And then you've got somebody like Peter who was a fisherman who probably wasn't a real big fan of writing, okay? But he did it because God used him and wanted him to do those things. And there are two different writing styles, a fisherman versus a physician. But we know that uh, <coughs> that Luke was very detailed. Uh, one of the more detailed books that we have. A, uh, he does, he's very chronological about how he does things. <coughs> and so... Uh, And and understand again with the Word of God, it's really neat how uh, you know. You ever wonder why we have four Gospels? Why are there four Gospels? Well, it's really cool. So Matthew, each Gospel deals with a different aspect of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Matthew deals with he he's writing to us about Jesus, our King. Jesus, our King. Mark writes to us about Jesus, our servant. Jesus as a servant. John writes to us Jesus as deity, as, as the Lord of, you know, or as, as God. And, and Luke focuses on the aspect of Jesus' humanity. And that's why Luke is the perfect book for going into uh, this Christmas season. To learn about Jesus and his humanity. Because what is it? Um, understand that uh, Jesus' humble birth began God's life as a man. It began... God's life as a man. He had been uh, seen as a theophany in the Old Testament. We know that the, that there there were men uh, Joshua fell down and worshiped the man who was holding the sword, right? That wasn't an angel. It was a theophany of Christ. And we know that Abraham fell down and worshiped uh what what some people would say was an angel. It wasn't an angel. Any time, if an angel was being worshipped, an angel would have told somebody to rise. No, 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 you don't do that. No different than when Paul, when they tried to worship Paul, he said, ah, I'm not a god here. I'm not God. You know? But when you see somebody worship uh, what appears to be uh, you know, an angel of the Lord, and they worship that angel of the Lord, and that angel doesn't tell them to stand up, that's, a theod- that's Christ. Okay? But he wasn't in human form. I mean, he, he, they looked man, he looked like a man, but he wasn't flesh at that moment. He puts on flesh at his birth. Uh, and when he comes down and, and, and he, when, when the Holy Spirit lays him in Mary's womb, he begins to put on flesh, just like every baby, because that's when it happens, in the womb. So we understand that, uh, and, and when I say that, uh, God became a man, I am referring to Jesus Christ, because we know that Jesus is God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is God. And He came down from heaven. He left his, uh, He humbly left His heavenly abode to come down and live amongst us, and to put on flesh. Is that not what John 1.14 tells us? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And thus, what happens? He fulfills Isaiah's prophecy regarding the Savior who would be born of a virgin and his name would be called Emmanuel. God with us in Isaiah 7.14. What does that say? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which meaning, being interpreted, is God with us, right? <clears throat> and these truths help us to grow closer to our God as we see these truths happening uh, it draws us closer to God. Our faith grows as we come to understand the truth of God's word. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So this morning, in our text, I want you to see three truths that will help each of us draw closer to our Savior as we enter into this Christmas season. And the first truth is the declaration of Christ. The declaration of Christ. We see this declaration in, our, in verses 1 and 2. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So with regards to uh, the declaration of Christ, the first thing I want you to see is they're declared by first century writers. The declaration of Christ is declared by first century writers. Remember, we're talking about Uh, Luke here is doing research. And so what's he do? He's going to read stuff about Jesus Christ that has been written and that is out there. And so what does he do? Uh, And how do we know that we're talking about first century writers? Well, we look in here. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order. All right? They've taken in hand to set forth in order. What does set forth in order mean? To put together in order, to arrange, or to compose What is he composing? A declaration. What is a declaration? It suggests a narrative composed of notes that are compiled into a digest and then circulated. What's that sound like? Sounds like writings. It sounds like a book. Sounds like it's being circulated. It's been written. So what's Luke done? He's probably gotten his hands on maybe some inspired writings because Luke was not the first book written that was inspired by God. So, maybe he's gotten his hands on some inspired writings. But we also know that there may have been others who were just followers of Jesus, who maybe wrote down their accounts of what they experienced with Jesus in his life. Because Luke is not just writing about the birth of Jesus Christ, he's going from the birth to his death. From the beginning to the end, we're getting a whole life story about Jesus Christ. So, once you see it's declared by first century writers, but it's also declared by first century believers. Look here at the last part of verse 1. Uh, which are, sh- are most surely believed among us. Luke is telling us that he has spoken with other believers regarding the life of Christ. <coughs> this is all part of his research. So what's he doing? He's talking to people who believe in, in Jesus Christ and what he came to do. Uh, what's that like? Okay, so that would be like somebody who's going to do a, a, a research paper on the Holocaust. Are there people that do not believe Jesus Christ is who he says he is or who, he, who, who we believe him to be? Yeah, absolutely. Are there people who believe the Holocaust never happened? Unfortunately, yeah, there are. And therefore, uh, when you're gathering research, what, what's the best way to prove the Holocaust happened? Talk to people who believe it or were there, right? And so you're going to gather the information That you can, and that's what he does. This is all part of his research. And through his research, Luke would soon discover the historical accuracy of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. There would be no doubting these believers because they stood firm on their faith. They stood firm on their faith. Do you believe this is the Word of God? Do you believe that every word in here comes from God is inerrant, in, uh, you know, it's infallible, infallible, it's true, and you can count on it? If you do, you know, are you standing firm on it now? Do you stand firm on the faith? I love what Paul, uh, Pastor Paul Chappell once said. He said, in this day, as in the first century, we need Christian men and women who will believe surely in the faith and refuse to be dissuaded by scorners and skeptics. Romans 4.21 20, says, And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. What's that saying there? And being fully persuaded that, he had, that what he had promised, what Jesus promised to do, that he was able to actually do it. Well, what did Jesus promise to do? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to deliver us from our sins. So did he? Did He deliver us? Did He deliver on His promises? Absolutely. He came to deliver you from your sins. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Understand, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're condemned. Those who put their faith in the name of the only begotten Son, are delivered. Okay? They're, 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 they're not under condemnation. Romans makes that very clear. You're not under condemnation. But those who believe not are condemned already. Are you a believer this morning in the finished works of Jesus Christ? Have you trusted Him with your soul? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Believer, are you fully persuaded? Do you believe in the name of Jesus Christ? Because you need to believe God all the way. There is no middle ground. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith and is not good for much. How is your faith? Is it in, are you swimming in the deeps of revelation? Or are you just paddling around the edges? Believers, we need to declare our faith, and this will never happen if you have a weak faith. You, don't, you won't stand up for the truth if your faith is weak. When you're challenged, you'll back down. Oh, Think of it, it's when a bully comes up. Uh, if a young kid isn't strong and prepared to defend himself, he's going to be bullied. He's going to give his milk money away every time. But if he prepares himself and he's drinking milk and then eating meat, and growing, and getting stronger, he'll be able to defend himself one day. And that bully won't have any impact on him. And that's why we can't let people bully us into caving to what the world wants us to do. We need to be faithful to the Word of God and the truths that are in this Word. So, and lastly, I want you to see, it's declared by first century ministers. Look at verse 2. Declared by first century ministers. Even as they delivered them... Unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers to the word. So who's he deal with first? Eyewitnesses. Who better to prove something true than somebody who actually was there? You ever seen those guys that tell you the, oh yeah, I was out there fishing, man. You should have seen, I caught a, I, I, I caught a rainbow trout that long. And then you talk to the buddy that was with him. Dude, it was a minnow. What's he talking about? Yeah, Right? eyewitnesses can prove the accounts. They're going to be, uh, that, that's, that's one of the, the key things to a research paper is getting eyewitness accounts. He is interviewing people that actually spent time with Jesus. Who's going to better know about the life of Jesus than people who were there with Jesus? They were eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus. These uh, The eyewitness, uh, eyewitnesses referenced here in verse 2, who are they? More than likely, it's the apostles and his disciples. People who were following him, right? Uh, uh, it's not just the apostles, but who would be the best eyewitness accounts? Who did Jesus spend most of his time with? He spent it with the apostles. And there's a reason for that. But, <clears throat> so Luke's primary source of information uh, would have been the, these apostles. And why not? They were eyewitnesses to his life and ministry and his resurrection They witnessed to be apostle. You can't be an apostle if you did not witness the resurrection. That's why there's no apostles today. The people who claim to be apostles, but it's very clear that to be an apostle, you had to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, I, I realize people say, "Well, Paul, what about Paul on the road to Damascus? He saw Jesus Christ. The other guys didn't." But he saw it, and he tells us that in Scripture. He was there. He saw the resurrected Christ. And trust me, it changed his life. These eyewitness accounts give proof to what is written in the Scriptures. <clears throat> but we'll also, we talk about, it's not just the eyewitnesses, but it's the ministers of the Word. And who are these ministers? Understand that many of them are most likely the eyewitnesses, okay? Uh, not necessarily all of them, but many of them would have been the eyewitnesses who became ministers of the word. When well, we know the apostles did, they moved on and continued to tell people because they are the foundation of the church. That's what Jesus trained them for. So who better to become a minister of the word than eyewitnesses that spent time with Jesus, um, and which would have been these apostles, many of these disciples, and other believers who came uh, to know Jesus as their Savior. So we see Jesus actually telling this uh, to Paul in Acts. Okay, <clears throat> So who wrote Acts? Well, Luke. Luke wrote Acts. And it's really cool that Luke gives us the account <coughs> of Paul about his meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Understand that Paul, uh, uh, Luke traveled with Paul. He was a close companion of Paul's. And so Luke got a first-hand account. That's why he writes it. In Acts 26, verse 16. And this is actually Jesus speaking to to Paul. Paul's giving the account and saying, this is what Jesus told me. Jesus said, but rise, after Paul had fallen, right? But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee. There you go. He saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and those things in the which i will appear unto thee so ultimately we see what's he making he's making paul a minister of the word but before he's a minister he's an eyewitness to what jesus did if you don't believe, i mean i've always said the greatest proof of scripture is the life of the apostles and paul is one of them what was Paul doing on the road to Damascus? He was on his way to persecute Christians. Remember, Paul's the man who held all the coats of these men who stoned Stephen. He was at the stoning of Stephen. And I believe that what he saw in Stephen's life and then with Jesus at the road of Damascus, how do you go from wanting to kill Christians becoming probably the greatest Christian to walk the face of the earth. Something changes a man. Something changes a man. We're not going to get to see Jesus in this world unless he returns, You know, but we'll be raptured. We'll we'll go away. But what I want you to see is Jesus, we will see him in heaven. We have to go here to see Jesus. You have to go to the word of God. And therefore, uh, what will change a man today? The Word of God. The Word of God. You have to get in here. And like I said, the other apostles, the same thing. I mean, Peter ran. He, 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 he renounced, he didn't renounce, but he denied Jesus three times. He ran away. Only one apostle was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified, and that was John. Everyone else was gone. But then, what changed? What happened? All these guys run away. They go back to going to being fishermen. Then the resurrection happens. Jesus comes back. And every one of these men went on to die a martyr's death, except for John. But John was boiled alive in oil and survived it. Okay? But they're willing to do so. What changed in these men's lives? They witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so these guys are the ones who are best to talk to, to, to get the information. We can be sure that this, book, that, that this book we are reading is a historical document, right? Um, yeah, uh, we can sure it's a historical document and that provides historical proof to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It is a declaration of Christ. The question is, do you believe it? That's the real question. Do you believe it? So if you do, we can look at another truth that uh, will draw us closer to Jesus. This is the determination of Luke. The determination of Luke. Look at uh, uh, verses 3 and 4. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding in all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. See, Luke was not just content with merely learning about Jesus Christ, right? He wanted to also share Jesus with others. He wanted to tell them the gospel. He wanted to share the good news. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. So how could he do this? His determination to share the gospel was accomplished in three different ways. The first, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. This book wasn't written in Luke's own power. He was doing all the the research and and, and stuff, but you can trust uh, that uh, the good Lord orchestrated it. The, The good Lord made sure that he was able to talk to who he needed to talk to, have access to what he needed to have access to, because God made sure that what was written in this book was what God wanted written in this book, not what Luke wanted written. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, all Scripture, right down to every jot and tittle, down to the period, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration means God-breathed. Therefore, this is a God-breathed book. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Understand that maybe we don't always understand everything that's in the Bible. We don't uh, fully understand it. But don't take what somebody's trying to teach you right away without asking questions if you don't understand it. Uh, we we have to be aware of apostasy. That's what we're learning in our Sunday school class. Be aware of apostasy, but at the same time, we must know. If you know the scriptures and you get into the scriptures, uh, you can learn from those that uh, you trust. So we we must uh, be in the scriptures. Luke allowed the Holy Spirit to use him to pen the word of God. Now, won't you allow the Holy Spirit to use you to share the Word of God? One of the biggest reasons we don't share the Word of God is because we are not confident what the Word of God says. We read it, but oftentimes we don't understand it. Uh, I read a story about Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith was a man, uh, he, he told of a man, who said he had received no inspiration from the Bible, although he had gone through it several times. And I love what Gypsy Smith told him. He said, hey, why don't you let it go through you once? Then you will tell a different story. Instead of you going through the Bible, let the Bible go through you. Don't try to read into the Bible. Let the Bible read into you and show you. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. And reading the Bible and getting into the Bible, the Holy Spirit will illuminate you. But you have to let it go through you. Secondly, we see that he does it by experience. Because Luke was taking such care in researching the life of Christ, he was able to gain a greater understanding of his life and ministry. Luke would have had a golden opportunity to meet personally with eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and ministry. And therefore, he was able to compile and order his thoughts in such a way that we are the ones benefiting from his painstaking research today. Paul shares with us in 1 Corinthians the name of many of those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And therefore, remember, Luke would have had the opportunity to meet with many of these people because he was a close companion of Paul's. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 and 8, Paul lists. He's talking about the resurrection, and he says, "...and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve." After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. That's a hard one to refute. How do you say that 500 people all at once were all just colluded together and said, yeah, we saw Jesus? Some people have tried to say that, that, that they, were, they, they all dreamed a dream. At the same moment? 500 people? 500 people witnessed him at one time in his his resurrected body, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. Most of them were still alive in Luke's days, but some are fallen asleep. Some had passed away. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. As one born out of due time. Look, uh, Paul sharing with us. So Luke traveled with Paul for much of his ministry, and in fact, Luke was the last one to be with Paul while he was uh, in prison, at the Mamertine prison in Rome. Uh, in 2 Timothy verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 11, Timothy, or, uh, Paul says, only Luke is with me. At that time, he says, only Luke is with me. So Luke was very close to Paul, and Luke was with him uh, probably right up to his final days. Luke's determination to share the gospel was accomplished by the Spirit, by experience, and by order of events. Finally, we can see that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke was able to properly order uh, his thoughts for the book. For, for, for understand this book here, the book of Luke is the most chronological, uh, chronologically written book in the Bible on the life of Jesus. Uh, it, it goes all the way from before his birth talks about the conception all the way to his death. And so, understand, uh, we know that the word order gives the idea that the events are recorded in chronological order, making it easier to follow the gospel. Think about it. Luke spoke with Mary, right? I'm sure he got to be able to talk to Mary, the mother of Jesus, who would have been able to give him all the details that he is able to share with us regarding Jesus' birth. She would have given him pretty much everything, uh, a, a lot of it. But to back it up, he even goes on, I'm sure he got to speak with John, who, John, who was with Jesus, and he would be able to learn about the death and the resurrection from John. John one. 1 how do we know John saw this? John s- says in 1, uh, 1 John 1, one. he says, That which was from the beginning, referring to Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Did not John lay his head on Jesus' breast? His hands have handled him. He'd hugged Jesus. He probably, he walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He was with Jesus. He was one of the apostles. So Luke was determined to share his knowledge of Jesus with others. Are you? Are you? We have this knowledge. We have the word of God. We've, we've trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So we believe it. Now what are we doing to tell others about it? Are we willing to share it? So up to this point, we have seen the truths of the declaration of Christ and the determination of Luke. Now let's look at our last truth. The devotion of Theophilus. The devotion of Theophilus. We see this in the latter part of 3 and verse 4. Verse uh, 4. He says uh, to write unto thee in order most excellent Theophilus that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So we talk about the devotion of Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? Who is this guy? I mean where did he come from? He's mentioned in both books uh, in Luke and Acts. Um, what do we know about Theophilus? Well uh, The word Theophilus means uh, lover of God. Lover of God. So, one thing that they're not 100% sure about is, we know Theophilus was a real person, we just don't know if Theophilus was this person's real name. It's it's kind of funny that when we talk about uh, a name that's chosen, means lover of God. Well, are you a lover of God? Then this book is written to you. It's written for you. And, and what we do know is, you know, uh, to try to understand it is, we know that Theophilus was a new believer, okay? We know he was a new believer. It is believed that Theophilus was a new believer who had personally received Jesus Christ as his Savior. But we also know that he was a prominent believer. And we know that because Luke addresses this man as most excellent, right? Most excellent Theophilus. So he's a prominent man. And how do we know that that means that he's prominent? Well, we look at other verses in Scripture that tell us, uh, we know that uh, Felix, Felix was a procurator of Judea. And so he's referred to in Acts 24 verse 3 as most noble uh, Felix. And later, in Acts 26, verse 25, we see it again with Festus. And Festus replaced Felix as the procurator, and he's referred to as Most Noble Festus. So along this idea of most excellent or most noble, it's kind of a title that's, that's probably used to describe men of wealth and maybe of a high position in, in government, in the Roman government. Okay, So if Theophilus is a man who's well up in the Roman government... Do you think he wants people to know he's a Christian? Or certain people? Like Caesar? Uh, so ultimately, Theophilus may be a, a name that Luke used to protect the real man, his name, so that uh, this man could continue to reach people with the gospel, just like we have missionaries who are hiding out in nations. Um, the gospel's getting to people in Iran. Uh, but there are people that are hiding. Uh, there are people that are trying to get word to North Korea. They're sneaking across the border. Most of the time, it's, lo- it's nationals because they're not going to get caught. But when they get caught, it's over for them. And, and, and it's no different with this guy. If he gets caught, he's going to be lion food. He's going to the arena. So... And I just love the fact that, so in my mind, I, again, I don't know. This could have been his real name. But I just think it's ironic that Luke uses lover of God, which really speaks to each and every one of us. If you love God, you're going to be in his word. And, and that's what this book is written for. It's written to those who love God. Um, so again, Theophilus was living in a time where Caesar was declared Lord. But after trusting Christ as his savior, Theophilus changed his allegiance. Caesar was no longer his Lord, and that's the way it's supposed to work with us. The moment you get saved, uh, this world is no longer your home. We become citizens of heaven. I- I'm proud to be an American, but I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm an American, and therefore, American policy will not dictate to me anything that's contrary to the Word of God. Will not. Christians were suffering persecution at the hand of Caesar and the Roman government. and So ultimately, we know that uh, this guy doesn't want to probably have his name known. I kind of lean towards that belief. Uh, it means nothing for eternity. So, uh, but ultimately, uh, Luke is writing this to lovers of God. And we also know that he was a growing believer. Theophilus was a growing believer. Uh, again, uh, in verse 4, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things which thou hast been Instructed, right? What we see here is that Luke is essentially discipling uh, Theophilus. He's he's discipling this man, and a lot of what he's writing here, he's writing for the benefit of this man, and we all benefit from it today, and people in the past have benefited from. But ultimately, he's kind of going into this that look, I'm uh, I'm 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 getting this so that it will strengthen your faith. You believe in Jesus, but I'm trying to give you more that's what I said before. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We have the word of God today. This is how our faith grows. You will never have faith in Christ like you should if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not studying it, if you're not getting into it and digging. Uh, Luke is writing to convince him of the certainty of his faith, right? The certainty of his faith. Uh, Again, quoting uh, Pastor Paul Chapel. he said, The Christian faith is not built upon blind belief, but upon specific facts that when related to history can be proven true. And much of the Bible continues to be proven true over and over again with archaeology and digs. It was believed many years ago that the Hittite people were not even a real people. It was a made-up race in, in the name uh, in, in Scripture. And then what happened? Oh, hey, check out. This is a Hittite civilization that we just dug up. Uh, you know, in uh, uh, your, uh, our scientists, you know, uh, way back when, uh, there was a time when the number of stars was believed to be in the thousands. Uh, and, and now we've learned that maybe the galaxies number the thousands. Galaxies. Not just the Milky Way, but thousands of them like this and, and uh, it was believed not until the 1970's uh, water came to this earth uh, it was evaporated up from you know, the oceans and the rivers and the lakes and then it was rained back down and that's where we get our water is from rain and we get our water from, uh, melting, uh, from the melting uh, snow caps and uh, uh, the glacial stuff well then in the 1970's they discover, discovered this thing called springs in the sea there are springs in the sea that are running water into the ocean. It's mentioned in Job, and we didn't get it until the 1970s, but it was mentioned in Job that there are springs in the sea. The Bible is proved over and over. It's never been able to find anything to disprove it, but it continually proves itself over and over again. Understand in John 20, verse 31, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. The things written in here are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came to save you from your sins. It goes on to, to the Bible tells us in 1 John five thirteen. These things are written that ye may uh, unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. When I was uh, early early on, when I was uh, at West Coast Baptist College, we were out soul winning my wife and I, and of course uh, I was still very. Uh, green in, in my studies and uh, we approached a lady who was in her garden working to, to give her a tract and invite her to church and I just asked her because the, the thing they teach is you know, just ask them are they 100% sure if they died today they'd spend eternity in heaven and I asked her that and she turned and looked at me and said nobody nobody can know for 100% and I had nothing I had nothing to come back with her on I do now. 1 John 5.13 Oh no, 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 no. These things are written that ye may know. That word know means know. You may know without a shadow of a doubt. That's why this is written. So you can know that you have eternal life. Quit listening to uh, apostasy on the radio. Quit opening worldly books and people who claim to be uh, uh, people who write about God. But do no scripture, one, not, not a lick of scripture in their books, and start opening the Bible and get in and find out what God wants you to know. And you can know that you have eternal life. Why was the Bible written as a whole? What's the whole sole purpose of the Bible? The sole purpose is the revelation of God. The revelation. How do you know Jesus? You can know there is a God by looking outside and seeing these beautiful mountains all around here and know, wow, now how did that get here? Something bigger than me had to put that there. But you can't know Jesus Christ without the Word of God, without special revelation. And that's why He gave it to us, so that we could have a relationship with Jesus Christ, so that we could know that we have eternal salvation and therefore, it is the revelation of God and the redemption of man. That's what the Bible exists solely for. It's revelation of God and a God who wants to redeem us from our sins. Sin separated us from God and God gave us a way back into he- a way to be in heaven one day. And lastly, I want you to see that he is a generous believer. It is believed that Theophilus may have provided financial support to Luke so that he could investigate and write this gospel. How cool is that? Theophilus is a part of the writing of this book, in that he financially helped Luke, so Luke could spend all of his time preparing this book, through doing his research, through probably spending many, many hours on his knees in prayer. Talking to God, trust me, a lot of this was, uh, I didn't mention it, but I'm sure he spent a lot of hours with God himself wanting to know more about his son. Everything we should be doing. We should be on our knees asking God to help us to understand what's in this book so that we can have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, he's not the only one that did this. Paul benefited from this. He wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 4, verses 15-17. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that would abound to your account. You understand, we get the opportunity to help in the ministry. We get to help missionaries in other nations. We give financially, we pray, and what they're doing is putting fruit on our account. The problem with churches today is, we think we do all this for missions, that, well, they're doing the work, we'll just sit here and relax. We'll just sit here and, uh, you know, I think one of the most convicting things I heard uh, in a church. I was in a church that didn't soul win years ago. We did no soul winning. And, and yet, we were talking to a missionary through Skype who was sharing all that he was doing in Haiti. And what a great work he was doing in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And reaching people and sharing and, and stuff. And we were just having this great time during our missions conference. And then the pastor asked him, do hey, you have any questions for us? And he said, yeah, how's your soul winning going? convicting when you know you don't have any soul winning what do you say yet we hold this man responsible that if he's not out soul winning we'll drop him as a missionary there are a lot of pastors out there probably thankful that they're not under the support of people making sure they're out there soul winning like they're supposed to be because there'd be a lot of churches uh, a lot poorer with no support we shouldn't be Expecting missionaries to do things that we're not doing as a church ourselves. We all are the church. Right along with those missionaries. We're the local church here in uh, Stevensville. He's a local church right there in the Dominican Republic. But the, 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 the Great Commission applies to both. Dominican Republic is his mission field. Stevensville and the Bitterroot Valley is our mission field. So as we consider, you know, we have this great privilege of being a part of the ministry. And as we consider these three points this morning, we are challenged with three questions. So our first point was the declaration of Christ. And the question is, do you believe? Do you believe in the declaration of Christ? Our faith as believers is based on historical facts. Like many other historical facts, they mean nothing if we do not actually believe them. We must Put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save us. And how can we do that if we don't really believe He was born of a virgin? He lived amongst us. Gave His life on the cross for us. Or that He was even resurrected. That is the gospel. It is the gospel truth whether you believe it or not. The second point was the determination of Luke. Do you want others to know? Luke wrote this book to Theophilus. One who loves Jesus. Do you love Jesus? If you do, this book is written to you. So, and why? So that you could know the certainty of the Christian faith. So that you could know the certainty of the Christian faith. The question now is, will you simply live your life with a head knowledge of Jesus, or will you share your knowledge of the gospel with others so they too can be saved? And the third point was the devotion of Theophilus. Will you help others to know Will you help others to know? Theophilus risked everything when he put his life, uh, when he put his faith in Jesus Christ. He chose to give financial support to Luke so that he could do the research he needed to bring us the book we get to enjoy today. Each of us has the ability to do our part in making sure the Lord's work is being accomplished, in order that others may know the truth. And Jesus said, "I am the truth." Jesus is the truth. What are you doing to help others know the truth? Everybody would please stand with every head bowed.